This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you have not noticed, the world has changed. It is a seismic change. And it requires a response. A response that we as humans are unable to give unless we stand on a rock that is firm. It's unchanging. Unless we know who we are. Unless we know the one in whom we have believed. In this series of the Lazarus life, we are finding that we are Lazarus. We are among all people. We all start in a tomb and in death. And Christ, Christ gives us a new life. And when we emerge, we come out with grave clothes. We stink. We're like the world and its death. Last week, we heard Jim bring us to Genesis 3, naming the grave clothes. They originate in the fall, in the garden. Today we are looking at how these grave clothes come off. We are looking at John chapter 11, one verse, verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Jesus, we ask that we would be right with you. And when you say something, we don't only overhear it. We don't only learn about you and us. But you, by your Spirit, say something to us that sets us free to live for this, for you and in this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was 39 years old. I had never been through Europe. And our very good friends, Bill and Rachel Johnson in Spokane, Washington, purchased two Eurail passes for Jim and for me so that they could accompany, could accompany us as Jim led us on a, a church history tour so that we all could benefit. So the Johnsons prepared us on how to do this. We had a lot to see in three weeks, and we could only bring a backpack, no suitcase, no briefcase, just one backpack. So we did it we would go through an average of two cities a day. We'd wake up early, 
And after breakfast, put on our backpacks and get in the train. Go to the next city, tour it or by foot for about four hours. Get back on a train, eat our lunch on the train, get off at the next city and tour all afternoon and into the evening. Tour all afternoon and into the evening. And then into our hotel or our place of staying. Now, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of exertion, which meant there was a lot of sweat and dirt. So in the evenings, before you put your clothes worn during the day back into the backpack, they had to pass what we all called the sniff test. If they did not pass the sniff test, they went into the bathtub, which you put detergent in, washed your clothes, hung them on a line, strung out across the room. So that is how we did it. Now, does Lazarus pass the sniff test? No. He flunks it. Flunks it. And yet Jesus tells all the people that are gathered around Lazarus' tomb to unbind him and let him loose. In today's, in today's passage that we combine with Luke 10, we will look at Jesus' assignment. We will look at our dual task and we will look at the right motivation. First, Jesus' assignment. Jesus alone can bring the dead to life. So after raising Lazarus to life, why didn't Jesus go the whole nine yards? Why didn't he unwrap Lazarus and put him in a a hot tub of water, maybe with, maybe with one of those nice-smelling bath bombs, and maybe, maybe give him a fresh change of clothes. Why did Jesus tell the people around Lazarus to unbind him, something unimaginably unpleasant and difficult? Now, it was Jesus who told those same people to take away the stone that was covering the mouth of the cave. And now, he tells them, unbind Lazarus. What we see is a pattern, a pattern that you will find throughout the New Testament. Jesus delights in involving us in the important work of helping another recover from the sins and the wounds of this world. Jesus delights in involving us in removing one another's graver and discouragement. And there's no higher privilege for a Christian than to be part of helping another recover, be restored. For years, George Gordon MacDonald Gordon MacDonald was the pastor at Grace Chapel in Lexington, Massachusetts. He shared a time when he visited Alcoholics Anonymous, wanting to see for himself what his friends in recovery were reporting to him. He writes, 
One morning, Kathy, I guessed her age was 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been a Hollywood beauty at 21. Now her face was red, her teeth rotting. Her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. She said, I've been in five states in the past month. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed. Now she begins to weep. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. But sobbing, I can't stop drinking. She sobs. I can't stop. She sobs. I can't. Next to Kathy was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms around Kathy and pulled Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed to Marilyn's ample breast. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection... The tenderness, how Jesus-like. I couldn't avoid a troubling question that morning. Could this have happened in the places in which I worship? Would there have been a space for Kathy to tell her story? Would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? How would you answer? Would there be a space, a willingness to listen to Kathy's story if she came in one Sunday and remained for the fellowship hour? Would there be a Marilyn among us to respond in this way? The answer depends on whether we recognize that this is Jesus' assignment for the church. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus emerged from the tomb smothered underneath wet, stinking grave clothes wrapped around his body. It was impossible for him to move his own grave clothes. It required outside intervention of the community gathered around him. In the same way, Jesus assigned the church the work of setting people free by restoring them. The Apostle Paul reinforces this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. My friends, he writes, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore that one in a spirit of gentleness. To restore, 
To restore is to mend or to repair. It's to make it what it ought to be. Martha Webb in this congregation restores furniture. Dan Aylward, he restores metal and objects of all kinds. Jesus assigns the church the work of restoring people. We are to do this work in a spirit of gentleness, which means don't go yanking off grave clothes. Don't yank off bandages. Jim, my husband, shared an experience of his from high school. He unfortunately slammed the door, car door, on his thumb, and it created a humongous blood blister underneath the nail. He went to what we believe was a sadistic general practitioner physician, and without any local anesthesia, he pulled off the thumbnail, and then he scrubbed it raw, and then he stuck it in a bowl of alcohol. He scrubbed it raw, and then he stuck it in a bowl of alcohol, and then he sewed it up. A week later, Jim returned to get the stitches out, and the same doctor yanked off that bandage, tugging, pulling, until Jim thought his thumb would fall off, tearing up in pain. Now, churchgoers can be a source of great pain in others if they try to yank off grave clothes in an attempt to remove imperfections. You may have been hurt yourself by someone who was careless in this way. This is a misapplication of Jesus' assignment. Jesus reprimands religious people who carelessly treat, verse 3 and following, why do you see a speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Eugene Peterson's The Message has it this way. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face when your own face is distorted by contempt? So here again the assignment. The assignment is not that Jesus makes us holier, this makes us holier than thou, holier than others. Instead, he gives us a task. It's only one of the two tasks regarding grave clothes. Because the first task is that we have grave clothes that must be removed. We are Lazarus. We are sinners who were dead in our sins. But Christ made us alive. We are saved by grace. We have a genuinely new life. But we are not totally new. We are broken and beloved. 
And like Lazarus, we fail the sniff test. This is why the church is called a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The writer of that line was Dear Abby, column, Abigail Van Buren. She wrote those words. That second task that we have is Jesus' assignment to the community. He uses us to untie the grave clothes of others. Dual task. Dual truth of who we are. It's a dual truth that allows us to be vulnerable with one another. Vulnerability is that kind of honesty about ourselves that is necessary for any transformation to take place. Vulnerability involves knowing others and being known. Brene Brown writes a lot about vulnerability. She says a lot about vulnerability. She says, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. Let me share with you what it was like to be in a vulnerability place in a loving Christian community in Spokane, Washington. It was four couples, Bill and Rachel Johnson were among them. One couple was dealing with overwhelming grief. After their older teenage daughter had been brutally murdered at a fast food restaurant by her coworker. The young man who murdered her was in prison. But her mother found herself hating him, wishing him dead. Hate was eating her alive. I had lost a significant pregnancy. I was dealing with severe doubt of God's goodness. I didn't know if I would ever recommend God to anyone. It seemed like I was always dealing with disappointment of one kind or another. Grave clothes. We all have them. And it's the dual task of unbinding and having our own removed that is the gift of Jesus Christ. It comes in the context of being vulnerable, sharing, reading scripture, and prayer. Would you like to experience such a group? It would mean meeting in one another's homes or backyards, listening yards, listening to each other's stories, asking good questions, giving a safe place for the work of transformation. If a church does not accept this dual task, then grave clothes remain and lives are not transformed. The church instead will be a nice place with nice friendships that do not quite satisfy the soul. In his book, The Lazarus Life, Stephen Smith writes, If everyone smells clean and looks clean, 
most likely you are not in a place of transformation. A community that seeks to help its members experience authentic transformation should be one where grave clothes, where grave clothes are welcome. Now, grave clothes will be welcome only if there's the right motivation. But what is that motivation? Should we welcome people wearing grave clothes because Jesus assigns it as our duty? At age 66, singer John Charles Thomas wrote to syndicated colonist Dear Abby, saying, I am presently completing the second year of a three-year survey on the hospitality or lack of it in churches. To date, of the 195 churches I have visited, I was spoken to in only one by someone other than the official greeters. And that was to ask me to please move my feet. Of duty? C.S. Lewis answers that question. He writes, It is undeniable. We do not wish to live among people who are clean or honest or kind as a matter of duty. We want to associate with people who like being clean and honest and kind. The mere suspicion that what seemed an act of spontaneous friendliness or generosity was really done out of duty subtly poisons it. It's like being graciously welcomed by a receptionist who's paid to smile and act pleasantly. The right motivation to welcome grave clothes is not due. To welcome grave clothes is not duty, but compassion. We see this in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, the religious man asked Jesus what he must do in order to secure his eternal life. He wants to know his duty. And Jesus responds by giving the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything grows out of that relationship. So the lawyer latches onto the part about his neighbor. He wants to limit who his neighbor might be. Is it along ethnic or racial lines? Therefore, Jesus responds to Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17-mile rocky thoroughfare lined with caves which make good hideouts for robbers and bandits. It's notoriously dangerous. This man, he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down the road and seeing him passed by on the other side. Then a Levite came upon him, and seeing him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Now the word translated here, 
as pity is translated in other places as compassion. It's the same word. It means a gut reaction. Something that moves us, something that moves us from within that compels a response. Compassion leaves us no alternative. We have to respond. Compassion is the motive. So when the Samaritan saw the man and his condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid. He disinfected his wounds. He bandaged them. He lifted him onto the donkey. He led him to an end and made him comfortable. Then the Samaritan leaves the innkeeper with about three and a half weeks worth of money to pay for the recovery of this injured man. The going rate for an inn was one-twelfth of a denarius, and two denarii were given as wages. Did you catch it? The Samaritan, the Samaritan in his compassion, met not only the immediate needs of this wounded man, he invested in his complete restoration. This is the assignment Jesus gives to the church. We have the work of unbinding one another, just as others have been given the assignment of unbinding us. It's dual. It's out of compassion. It's the love of God poured into us that overflows. That's the motive. Which of these three do you think, said Jesus, was the neighbor? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's how we end. That's go and do likewise. Unbind and be unbound. Would you like such a community? Would you like to be that kind of community to others. Simple words, affection, tenderness. How Jesus-like. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.